This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier. It is Friday morning, so you know what that means. Nora's on the show. Nora, great to see you. Great to see you, Tate. And guess what? It's the conference championship. Uh, we finally made it. We have the best Sunday of the season where we get to watch the AFC two best teams and the NFC's two best teams, you know, go head to head and we figure out who's going to go to the Super Bowl. And I want to start in the AFC because that is the star studded affair that everybody is talking about. Uh, the Ravens will host their first AFC championship game. The line right now, the Chiefs go into the Ravens. Ravens minus three and a half in this game. We got Lamar Jackson taking on Pat Mahomes. Um, what are you most excited to see in this game, Nora? We'll start there. I, I'm excited to see if Lamar can just really have a moment that it feels like this year has been building to. You know, I, I think the the sort of side of the ball that I find really interesting in this game is the Ravens defense and what they're going to do against Kansas City. But just in terms of the storytelling piece of it, Lamar having gotten this far on this team after the offseason that he had last year is just... It's a really, really great story. And mm. it's not something that we've seen before for him. And and being able to get past the Chiefs, I think, would get rid of the playoff narratives with him that I think are really silly. And it would just, that would be the most satisfying game to watch, I think, for me. Yeah, and Lamar was asked about playing Pat Mahomes. And he said, quote, I don't like competing against him at all. It's like a heavyweight fight. To be a champion, you got to go through a champion. So that's pretty much the mindset. Do we like this mindset from Lamar Jackson? Do we think this is this is some humility here? I like that. Yeah, and also he's just loose. Like, I, I don't think you can totally turn it into a positive what happened last year, what happened in the offseason, just because it seemed like a real drag and annoying to go through and people had bad takes and they're flying left and right and everything. But I do think that we have this version of Lamar who's just sort of like everything is gravy at this point. He's got the contract. He's got that weight off his shoulders. He's performed really well. He's finally in this offense that does more to support him than Greg Roman had been doing there in Baltimore. And I, I do think that they're just they're just chill. Even Harbaugh. Mm. Uh, I like the way they are in the press conferences. So I think he's just being honest. Like... Yeah, I'd rather play Jared Goff than Patrick Mahomes, but that's <laughs> yeah. not the way the cookie crumbles. So, you know, let's go. Well, we saw when C.J. Stroud and that Texans offense, they came to Baltimore. They had a tough time hearing, you know, audibles. They had, a, you know, a couple yeah. of, you know, uh, false starts and things like this. Uh, do we think that Mahomes will feel that same pass rush and that same pressure from the crowd? Do we think that maybe Baltimore can get him on his heels a little bit in this game? Yeah, now I, th I think 
Mahomes just, he hasn't had the road playoff experience, but he has had the playoff experience. And Mm. I think it's probably a little bit less daunting for him than for someone like Stroud playing in a first playoff game and, and all of that, but, um, or a second playoff game, but in his first playoff series, I, I don't think it'll be a huge factor, but I do think it'll be something of a factor. Um, in particular, you know, sometimes they, they do a lot of trickeration, the motions and that type of stuff that the chiefs have relied on somewhat to try to get some of the receivers who haven't been high performers this season going, that stuff gets really hard when you can't hear. Uh, so I think it'll be something they have to manage. I do think that Mahomes can manage those things fairly well though. So let's talk about star power because there's going to be a star, a lot of star power in Baltimore. There's an expectation that uh, Taylor Swift will go to watch, you know, what? her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, that, there's an expectation. I'm not saying that's a reality. So the Kansas City side, they have star power. But let's look at the Baltimore side because it has been announced that Ray Lewis and Ed Reed are going to be honored at this game. Terrell Suggs is going to be at this game. Jonathan Ogden is going to be the honorary captain. Michael <laughs> Phelps Jonathan is going to deliver Ogden. the game ball. <laughs> Yeah, to Michael Phelps. Hey, uh, we know him for the Olympics, superstar. He's going to deliver the game ball, Nora. And uh, also, T Pain is performing at halftime. What is his most biggest hit? All no. I do is win. So, how do you feel I about love Baltimore? <laughs> do you think I Baltimore went, is our, more star power? Our wonderful power? employers at Spotify had a summer party for employees <laughs> last summer in New York, and T Pain was one of the performers, and he. When I tell you this man gave everything he had to that set, Tate, <laughs> yes. it was incredible. He was like drenched in sweat the whole time. It was like in the middle of the summer. It was so hot out. T-Pain just absolutely crushed it. I did. I have, I had not seen that. What did they have? Jimmy E. World last year? Was that last week or is that at the Lions game? I think so. Yeah, yeah, Thrilled yeah. Thrilled to learn that T-Pain will be present. I do like that Baltimore is responding to the star power with their own stars. I, I so this is where I game. wanted us to get, because when you, <laughs> Tate, you started slow there. You were like, Baltimore's yeah. responding with the star power. Jonathan Ogden going to be in the house. <laughs> and I don't know. I, Taylor Swift, Jonathan, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on this man, but T-Pain, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. Uh, are you excited to see Taylor Swift in this game? And what do you think her box setup will be in Baltimore? That's another question. People, some Bills fans are upset about her having a box uh, in their stadium. Are you aware of of the Taylor? I'm I'm not answering your question because I want to talk about something else. Are you aware yeah, of the Taylor Swift T Pain rap? They have a rap together. Yes, I didn't, I'm um, not aware of this. Oh my god! <laughs> Should they perform it at halftime? That's it's called question. it's called Thug Story. She's like, the beginning of it is like, I'm like eight foot four blonde hair to the floor. You never thought you'd hear me rapping hardcore. Is this an SNL skit? Like, where did this come from? Okay. Okay. So this is like Lonely Islands. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe they should do that at halftime. That would be great. Okay. I got that out of my system. Back to Um, you. Yeah, please. Back to the box. What's happening with the box? Who's going to be in the box? So the one that I really want to know is if Cara Delevingne will be in the box again. Ooh. Because Cara Delevingne, who like, does she, you know, she's she's British. I didn't really know if she cares about American football. She goes from Saturday Night Live, uh, Saturday Night, speaking of Saturday Night Live, there's this photo mm. of Megan the Stallion wearing like a crazy fit and then just yeah, and right. because her shoes are so high flanked on both sides by Renee Rapp and Cara Delevingne and they're each holding 
one of Megan the Stallion's arms and like help helping her get into the after party. And it's just like, it's just a crazy image. It just, they're just, they're going out for the night. And then let's call that, is that 1.30 a.m. on Saturday by yeah. 4 p.m. on Sunday? Like midday Sunday, she's in Buffalo, New York with Jason Kelsey, like pulling his shirt off. So what I want to know is if she's like got the football bug. So maybe Carrie Delevingne, that would be exciting. Um, you know, I'm curious if we'll, if we'll ever get Selena Gomez in the box just Mm. because she's a, you know, she's a Taylor bestie, but she's one of the only people who hasn't come to a game. So maybe we'll have to keep an eye out for Selena as Nicki Minaj. I like that. I like that. I also like the range of Cara Delevingne to go from Meg the Stallion and Renee Rapp to Taylor Swift with Jason Kelsey. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's respect. That's nothing but respect. That is a weekend. (laughs) That is a full weekend. Uh, Last thing on this game, we'll get back to football here. Uh, The Chiefs will win this game, Nora, if they do what? What do you say uh, will get them over the hump to get a win in Baltimore? I think they got to force the the Ravens into some mistakes. So if that defense Mm. gets multiple interceptions, I'll say. Turnovers. Okay. I like that. And the Ravens win this game, Nora, if they do what? If So there's two ways that I could say this. I'll say it this way first. The Ravens win this game if Travis Kelsey stays under 50 receiving yards. And I think the other way Mm. of putting that same outcome is if we come out of this game talking about Kyle Hamilton, Baltimore is in a really, really good spot because I just think that that one thing that we haven't sort of fully accounted for in this game that was really not present against Buffalo is that the Ravens have someone defensively who can guard Kelsey one-on-one. And I think it's going to change the whole, whole nature of that Chiefs offense being able to kind of get blood from a stone, which credit to them for doing it against a a really injured Buffalo defense. But I think he's going to be a game changer for Buffalo. Yeah. Stop Pacheco, right? That's the big deal too, for the Ravens to see if they can stop him. He's leading uh, the playoff playoffs and rushing yards right now. Let's get to the NFC game. Uh, We got the Detroit lions going to take on the San Francisco 49ers minus seven. The line is moving a little bit. I've seen it get all the way up to minus seven and a half. Uh, Nora, you wrote a piece on the ringer about Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy has been a hot button issue in the NFL to say the least. Um, what are our thoughts about Purdy going into this game and what, what should be the expectation for Brock Purdy playing in this game? Look, so the thing that I was trying to write about, because I think Brock Purdy is, is a sort of mid tier starter. I think he's done a really, really, really good job at what his job has been this year. I do think that he would have much worse stats if he were in a different offense on a different team, blah, 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 blah. I think his his production says something about him, but probably more about his surroundings, right? So that's sort of where I stand on, on Brock Purdy. But the thing that I was trying to write about was like, why is it this guy who <laughs> makes us crazy? Like, why is it this particular quarterback where nobody can agree and the tone of the discussion is like either you are believing that he should be an MVP or like he's a total scrub. And obviously it's somewhere in the middle. Um, And I, I, where I came down is it's just sort of like we keep having the quarterback wins, like wins are not a quarterback stat over and over again. And Brock Purdy sort of embodies that better than any other player. Plus we just have such a small sample size with him because I mean, he has 20, 21 or 22 starts at this point Mm -hmm. to his name. So what I can guarantee you 
from this game is that when it concludes, the takes are going to be flying. And <laughs> either way, people are going to go a little, a little Brock crazy. Um, but I think, look, like the 49ers have done enough to show how as long as he is not actively hurting them, which for the most part, he's not. I do think that there seems to be a thing where if the weather's bad, he kind of does cross cross that threshold into being an active detriment. But if he just does his job, it's a top offense in the league. And mm. the Lions defense, I thought was pretty impressive. Last week, I haven't thought super highly of them for, for most of the year, but I think you could see that Aaron Glenn has figured out how to maximize the talent that he has. They were getting those unblocked rushers. They can hold it together on the back end. At least they could against a weaker opponent. The 49ers, I think the question is like, they're going to be able to test that because this Lions defense has been vulnerable to the big play. And this 49ers offense has more big plays than anybody else. So if Brock can just keep them in positive down and distances, which is how they end up getting those explosives, then I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, it'll be a great Sunday of football. We're excited for that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about all the many hirings in the NFL uh, this offseason already. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're here with Nora, and we're talking NFL headlines and storylines, and we got to start with Jim Harbaugh, who is now going to be known as the Chargers head coach. It is official. Um, Nora, what were your thoughts when you saw the breaking news that Jim Harbaugh is going to take over as the coach of the Los Angeles Chargers? I mean, good for him for for taking the leap back to the NFL. I honestly thought that we were going to see Harbaugh go back and stay at Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was trending that way, so I felt I, like, yeah. It, it it felt that way. It's sort of in some ways the safer move at this point. So I, I like the idea of having Jim Harbaugh back in the league. I think it'll be really exciting to see what he can do with that Chargers team. So I was happy it happened just from a sort of storylines and entertainment perspective. There's sort of two things that I think will be interested to see. And, and one is just in the short term. You know, that team has Justin Herbert, who's one of the best young quarterbacks in football. But I do think that roster is a little bit more barren than people realize. Mm -hmm. So the first question is just how is he going to approach getting a little bit more talent, a little bit more depth into that organization to support Justin Herbert and to be able to have the kind of sort of quick turnaround and culture shift and, and rebuilding that has been really his, his hallmark, right? Like 
Harbaugh can come into a program and pick it up off the floor, embody a culture, get it into the organization's bones really quickly. I think the only thing that that is a significant hurdle in doing that is just how uh, personnel stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to see how he tackles that. And then look, say it, say it works for the most part. Say they make the playoffs, make a playoff run next year, get more with the talent that they have. And it feels like Harbaugh resetting the culture was responsible for that. The thing that I wonder is what happens next. Because sometimes that is the Harbaugh story, right? Like he obviously, he made it happen at Michigan, but sometimes it gets good and he resets the tone and then things get a little messy. Um, So in the long term, I think it'll be interesting to see how this lasts, how, how sort of stable this regime ends up being. Because when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert, like you are planning for the long term and planning for the long term with, Jim Harbaugh, I think, is an interesting sort of proposition. But in general, I'm excited about it. I think he'll do good things for them. Curious to see sort of what he does in terms of the personnel department and who they hire and how all of that goes. But I like it. Yeah, I like it, too, on its face. And he's the first coach to win a national championship and then make the lead to the NFL. Um, Unfortunately, there is like the second layer to it, like you said, where he leaves Michigan. They have an NCAA investigation going on. You got, you know, the whole Connor Stallions thing. So there's like another level behind him that he left, but he did leave on top. Um, so, you know, you can have that argument back and forth, but in reality, there's a lot of Michigan alumni in LA. There's a lot of people that were reaching out to me yesterday that were very excited about him being on the chargers saying that they're going to be chargers fans. Now the chargers need fans, Nora, I know you know this. Um, so it could be uh, good news and it could be good news for Justin Herbert as well. Um, let's stay in the AFC West. Let's talk about the Raiders because they promote Antonio Pierce and they're hiring former chargers, uh, GM Tom Telesco. Uh, do you like these moves for Vegas? Do, do you like the, the, the kind of I go with the guy that the locker room fell in love with with Antonio Pierce because it does seem like that was a big part in the decision to make him the head coach. Yeah, well, Max Crosby said that he was going to request a trade <laughs> right. if they didn't hire Pierce. Like, I, I do think that you have to listen to that at a certain point. I mean, that's one of your most important players. It's the most important player on your defense. And uh, I believe Devontae Adams also was pretty outspoken about wanting Pierce to stay. I think that's meaningful. Mm. And he got so much more out of that roster down the stretch than Josh McDaniels had even come close to that I I more than get it. And he deserves this opportunity. I'm glad he got it. I'm excited to see what he does with it. Look, you're going out on a limb a little bit. And so if in two years, Antonio Pierce gets fired there and it hasn't gone well, I'm not going to tell you that I'm shocked, but I think he, I think he earned that job Mm. and I'm glad that they gave it to to him because often we see in these situations that it's not quite as meritocratic as, as we'd like to believe, but I think he really went and earned that job and I'm glad that he got it. I have to say the Telesco thing, I'm not as, as excited about. Mm. I just think that I think that Chargers roster had really fallen by the wayside. And I, I don't, you know, he's he's been a good drafter, at least, especially in the high rounds in the past. So I sort of get it on that level. Like this guy overall has a pretty good resume. But it, if you're looking recently, like he really didn't have those Chargers rosters in very good shape. So I'm a little bit cu- curious of kind of what, 
what sold the deal there. But Tom Telesco's been a GM for a long time. He's got connections around the league. Maybe there's some logic to pairing him with a coach like Pierce just to get the the experience level overall a little higher there. Um, but overall, like the head coach hire, little more lukewarm on on the GM move. Yeah, I think that division and the the coaches there are fascinating. You got Andy Reid, you got Sean Payton, you got Jim Harbaugh, and you got Antonio Pierce. That is a lot of personality. That is a lot of culture. That's a lot of different philosophies. Um, so the AFC West is going to be fun to watch. And finally, let's talk about my Carolina Panthers, Nora. I tried to save uh, save this for last. I tried to bury the lead as best I can. Um, the Panthers are hiring Dave Canales as their new head coach. He was the offensive coordinator with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a Pete Carroll guy. He gets a lot of credit for Gene Smith got a lot of credit for Baker Mayfield this year. Um, Dave Tepper says he wants someone that is a quarterback whisperer and he is hoping that he can help with Bryce Young. Do we like this hiring for the Panthers where they go young with Dave Canales? How random, right? <laughs> like yeah, random. I, I just came out of absolutely left field. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I actually really do. Like there's a layer to it where I'm a little nervous about what it says Right. Because as you said, if you're Tepper and you hire a Dave Canales, who I think does, you know, he doesn't have the longest resume, but what he's building is really impressive. And I think what he did with that Bucks offense this year was commendable, top notch. Right. Um, and if you looked not just at at the way that he designed that system to maximize everybody they had, but also his in-game play calling, like the sequencing, the timing of everything, how he use certain plays to set up others. He's he's just really good. He's really good at that. So I think that's great. I do think if you hire that guy, you are saying to him essentially, like, it's your job to fix Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. I'm worried Bryce Young is not fixable and therefore it's setting him up for failure. But if the name of the game is to hire a guy who's good on offense and is good at his job and has shown that he's a bright dude who can get more with less than like check, 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 check. So yeah, can't complain too much. Yeah. Can't complain too much. And it's still like a wait and see. I like Dan Morgan there as the GM. So the, the Panthers are trying to put the pieces into place there. And, uh, I will say there were some people that reached out that were very upset. They didn't interview Bill Belichick. They didn't interview Mike Vrabel, right? They didn't go after Pete Carroll. So there were some people that wanted the names, uh, but they don't get the names. They get a guy that they had never but, heard of. <laughs> so that's the, the thing. Tate, no one's no one's interviewing Belichick. Right. Isn't this crazy? Yeah. Like nobody wants him except for maybe kind of the Falcons. And it's turning into this like Atlanta or bust thing, mm. which is always a possibility, right? Like we talked about, I wrote a piece, I guess it was last week and we talked about it where it was sort of setting up like, this is this sort of crazy opportunity to see what the league thinks of this guy and like what owners truly think. And it's not to say that I think, you know, Bill Belichick not having six different coaching interviews means the league thinks he's trash. But the appetite to hire him is is really limited and really muted out there. And that's in terms of the, the teams that maybe could have created an opening if they'd really wanted to go for it, like the Cowboys, like the Eagles, and opted not to do that. And it's also in terms of some of the other teams who have openings who just were like, eh, no, no, thank you. We don't, we're not interested. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think that that was how Belichick was getting talked about before the firing happened in new England. I think it was like, oh my God, if Bill Belichick's available, whew, 
crazy. And it's that's that is not what's happening. Yeah, the mar- the market is not as hot as people thought. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Nora's going to debunk uh, some some big NFL storylines that we have here. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're here with Nora, and uh, you know how the game goes. I bring Nora on. I throw some headlines at her. We try to uh, figure out what's actually happening here and debunk them as best we can. Let's start here. Cam Newton, one of our favorite storylines and one of our favorite characters in the NFL. Uh, Cam Newton says the only team he would return to play for would be his hometown, Atlanta Falcons. Is this setting up, Nora, for a Bill Belichick-Cam Newton reunion in Atlanta? Are you buying the hype? Do you see the vision? I think... Cam might be trying to set it up. Good angling. I like it. That's my quarterback. I mean, look, I think the only coach, I I love Cam Newton. Cam Newton's fun. Cam Newton is still wearing hats. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Bill Belichick loves him some Cam Newton. So I actually don't like, he would just, he would just want to have that guy around. Um, I do think that, that Cam Newton's NFL quarterbacking days illustrious as they were are behind him. But uh, thanks for letting us know, Cam. And is there any other team last thing, Nora, then I'll let you go. Is there any other team out there that still has their head coach that we're, you know, circling on the board because there was rumors that maybe Belichick or Vrabel, they were kind of holding out for a team that might move on. Let's say, for example, maybe a Buffalo or a Jacksonville, uh, one of these teams that says, hey, if we got one of these coaches out there, we're going to make a big swing or take a big swing. Is that possible? Do we think that's still on the horizon or are all the firings done? Like the smoke is settled at this, at this point. I think it's, it's championship weekend. Mm. I think it's done. Um, you know, the ones that felt in play were Dallas. Now look, McCarthy's didn't get an extension and it's not that often that a coach enters a true lame duck year, but he's coaching for his job. Jason Garrett had to do that a couple of times there. So it's not totally out of the question in terms of, of what Jerry Jones sort of likes to do. But I suppose one thing that could end up happening is if there's still interest from Dallas, like, and if Belichick just doesn't like his options, he could take a year off and Mm -hmm. maybe see if things are different in a year. But I think Dallas, you know, that was on the table. That didn't happen. Um, The Eagles, Sirianni's job felt like, you know, long shot, but potentially another one that was on the table. That didn't happen. They've, they've, you know, Fired the OC, reorganizing the defense. Um, that 
all telegraphs and Sirianni was able to make those moves that like, he's going to be there. Um, and then Buffalo felt like another one. I just think they would have done it right away after, after they lost that game. Um, and I think the fact that their season rebounded in the way that it did probably saved Sean McDermott. So, uh, Jacksonville again, you would have done it by now. So I, I think we're good. I think the only thing that could happen now is he does a, a Doc Rivers type deal. Our producer uh, Tucker pointed this out. Maybe he goes in as a consultant. He's helping Sean McDermott. He's sure. trying to get him, you know, in the right positions. And all of a sudden, why don't you just step into the seat here and, and just become our head coach, Mister Belichick? You've been here. You've been helping us. Um, so who knows? Maybe maybe there's something there. Uh, Nora, where can we find all your amazing work here at the Ringer? And then we'll let you go enjoy your Friday. <laughs> TheRinger.com, The Ringer NFL Show. Uh, Steven and I will have a pot up late Sunday night, early Monday morning, recapping the championship games mm. um, and the Every Single Album podcast. I'm sure we mentioned Thug Story featuring <laughs> T-Swift and T-Pain. Yes, please. Rapping on the same track. Please go check that it's out. It's a Thug Story. It's, now yeah. can you handle that? <laughs> yeah, please go listen to that. Nora, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, coming up, we have Kevin O'Connor. He's going to talk about his Ringer NBA draft guide. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Through the Ringer, now in studio in Los Angeles. It is the Ringer's very own Kevin O'Connor, KOC. Good to see you, man. Great to see you too, Tate. We got to talk about a lot. There's a lot happening in the NBA. Obviously, everyone's getting excited for the buyouts, the trades that are all ahead. But I want to start with the firings because this was uh, shocking. I still can't believe it actually happened. Adrian Griffin fired uh, by the Milwaukee Bucks. There's a lot of conversations about could he actually take them to the promised land. It looks like the Milwaukee ownership says no. What say you? How did this all happen? How did this play out? I mean, put it this way. You have a Bucks team that was second in the East, 30 and 13. Right. And the team looks great on paper, but it was such a disaster behind the scenes with Adrian Griffin that the team felt, we have this great record, but it's still <laughs> worth firing our head coach. <laughs> right. Because the players in the front office learned that they couldn't trust him to be that guy to lead him to the promised land. Because with Griffin, it started in preseason training camp when Terry Stotts, the lead assistant coach who had coached Damian Lillard for years, walked out after he was berated out of practice. It's started out then when he changed the entire defensive scheme. Mm-hmm. Four games into the season, the veterans on the Bucks asked him to change it. The Lopez brothers, the Lo- right. Lopez yeah. brothers. I mean, everybody wanted Lopez to go back in a drop instead of playing an aggressive scheme that he installed. And players were like, what are we doing here? That happened throughout the season with some of his rotation decisions, timeout decisions, tactical decisions. The front office, as has been reported by others, was in practices watching him kind of try to steer and fix this team. It wasn't getting better. He just lost the trust of the entire organization. So that's why a 30 and 13 team decided we have this great record, but it's it's despite him, 
we can be even better. Let's make a change. And I actually respect them for pulling the plug that quickly because it was a disaster behind the scenes for a long time, ever since he got started. Yeah, and Howard Beck had this note. Adrian Griffin lasted 43 games, as we said. Uh, is As far as we can tell, and not counting interim guys, the shortest head coach tenure in modern NBA <laughs> history. Um, I think of guys like Dick Vitale with the Pistons. Uh, he coached one full season, 82 games, but then he coached 12 games his second year, and then he got fired. So we've seen some short tenures, but this is obviously going to go down historic. Uh, Doc Rivers was consulting Adrian Griffin, and now he's the head coach. What does that look like, and what does Doc bring to this team? I mean, I think Doc brings stability. I, mm-hmm. I, I've been critical of Doc in the past. He's been the head coach of three separate teams that have blown 3-1 leads. He's often slow to make changes in the postseason. However, Doc is at least an above-average to solid coach. Yeah, That's better than bad. Who's won a championship? He's won a championship, right. and he has always been somebody who has the respect of a locker room. Mm -hmm. Always has been. So I think you have this veteran group with Giannis and Lopez and Middleton and Dame. Now they have a a leader in that locker room, somebody who's going to tell it to them straight and somebody who knows what they're doing and they have experience and that can collaborate with his smart, you know, hardworking veterans. Whereas Griffin, like from my understanding, is like it just wasn't as uh, collaborative with his coaches. That's why Stotts walked out. They never saw eye to eye. And with the players, there was always disagreement. Like, yes, he put Lopez back and drop, but Giannis and Bobby Portis were still defending on the perimeter more than ever. They were switching screens more than they ever were, pulling them away from the paint for rebounding and rim protection. So I think the that locker room for the Bucks was always like, what are we actually doing? And they talked about it like publicly. Mm-hmm. We don't have a plan. At yeah. least with Doc Rivers, you know you have a plan and you know you have a system. So this more is in line with what they had in, with Budenholzer for years where they had great success. It's going to be hard though. I mean, like joining midseason, like how, like so little practice time, how do you, how do you change everything mid year? It's going to be a challenge for doc. And it wouldn't surprise me if they actually have a slightly worse record. Now that the schedule is getting a bit harder for them. And like, they've had so many miraculous wins, like the Dame game winner over the Kings. They're, they might have a worse record, but it might the team might feel like they are more of a contender. Yeah, which right. Is weird. They're in a better standing yeah. uh, yes. as far as their chances to actually go deep. Uh, a lot of people point this out. Giannis had a big influence on Adrian Griffin getting the job. Does this reflect poorly on him at any level? <laughs> like, does he take it? Does he shoulder some of that blame? Because Nick Nurse was obviously out there as well. I mean, sometimes what you think is best for you isn't always, <laughs> and I think that's the case with Giannis. He right. had. He had Budenholzer, and, and I think he looked at that situation after they lost to the Heat, and he said something after that. So he kind of threw Bud after, under the bus. He's like, I wanted, I wanted the chance to defend Jimmy Butler. We weren't making enough changes. I think Giannis looked at that and thought, I need a coach who's going to let me do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I need to take more control, when in reality, he need, needed more of a micromanager, somebody who's going to be the tactical thinker and make those choices for the team on the floor. Is Doc going to be that? I don't know. I mean, he never really has been quick to make adjustments, but um, I think for Giannis with that Griffin decision, it was like definitely a mistake on his part, even though he denies saying, like, I had had nothing to do with this. He invited him to my wedding. Be real. You had a lot to do with the Griffin decision. Let's talk about (laughs) the Minnesota Timberwolves because uh, they had a very interesting situation happen. Cat scores 62 points. Uh, They do lose the game. And then after the game, Coach Finn says, quote, Coach Finch says, quote, it was an absolute disgusting performance of defense and immature basketball all through the game. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing really to say other than like, that's what he said. I mean, we we can read into it. I mean, it's pretty blatant what he's saying. He's like, I hated what happened out there on the court. Where where does Cat stand with this Minnesota team right now? I mean, it's unheard of for a coach to do that after, (laughs) I think Bill Simmons said on his podcast this week, after a guy scores 40. Never mind over 60 (laughs) points. It was strange. He pulled him late in the game. Yeah, he benched him. So, I mean, where where do things stand? I mean, look, Cat has done everything he's needed to do to fit in in the front court next to Gobert, playing like as Edwards has risen and Conley has taken more on more yeah. ball handling responsibilities. Cat has taken He's been on. phased out of the team right in front of him. Sure, right? sure but he's like adapted still. Mm-hmm. He's taken the shots when they're there for him. He's right. been a spot-up guy, attacking closeouts when necessary. He's been trying harder on defense, putting in greater effort more consistently. He's been doing everything possible. But then all those bad habits... Kind of like the, I don't know, the the lack of maturity, some of the whininess, the poor decision-making. It came up in what should have been his best game of the entire season, best game of his entire career. Yeah. So I think for the, the Wolves, the thing that's always a topic for them is going to be leadership and that maturity that Finch is talking about. Because with Cat and Edwards, oftentimes their offense has gotten sluggish at the end of games. If they don't have Conley, which they didn't in that game, mm-hmm. if things fall apart, can you really be relying on a, mid-30s-year-old point guard past his prime and Mike Conley to be the guy steering the ship? Can you really be relying on Kyle Anderson to be your vocal leader in the locker room? I think it says more than anything else that the younger guys on that team, Ant and Cat, have to grow into those leaders in the same way that we saw with Boston with Tatum and Brown. When you have young guys, like the the best players have to be the leaders Mm -hmm. of the team, and I don't think they quite are yet, which is why Minnesota is their finals contender, but they're not... They're not the favorite. I like that. Uh, KOC, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Wimby versus Chet and your draft guide. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer here with Kevin O'Connor, and we are talking Wimby versus Chet. This is the Rookie of the Year race that everybody is captivated by. What were your thoughts initially just watching these two guys go <laughs> against each other? Because it was fascinating, to say the least. I mean, my my fir- my only thought really throughout it is like, I hope we get these guys healthy for a decade plus. <laughs> yeah, right. Because it feels like the rivalry is already starting to brew. Yeah, they don't they, like each other. They I don't, don't at all. <laughs> Wemby, Wemby showed a chip on his shoulder in that game, kind of yep. staring down Chet. Chet, of course, was intense throughout that game. They they might not admit it to the media, but they clearly see each other as rivals. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the the Thunder are three, four, five years ahead. Their best player is already an MVP candidate in SGA. The Spurs' best player is 20 years old. He's a rookie. Um, but I, I think for both of these teams, the Spurs get better, and as the Thunder sustain and maybe even improve more in the years to come, like this rivalry is just going to get better as those two players get better, and it's already like amazing to watch yeah. those guys go at each other. Like they do things that you've never seen before, and they're doing it play after play after play after play after play. It's just so fun. And they guard each other, and they mm-hmm. go at each other. And there was this moment where it's funny where you're watching this game, and it's like there's the number one team in the Western Conference versus the worst team in the Western Conference, <laughs> but somehow it is captivating because mm-hmm. of these two, uh, for lack of a better term, aliens that are on the court. <laughs> um, are, where are we with the Rookie of the Year race? Because I've seen people say it has to be Chet. He's up for all-star consideration. Then I've seen people argue the other way. We've never seen someone do what Wimby has been able to do. Where do we stand right now in the race? Is Chet the favorite? 
actually. I still think Chet has like the slight edge in terms of the fact that he's had a stronger start to the year. He put up bigger numbers, but Wemby's coming on so fast. Mm -hmm. And once that minutes restriction is lifted, he is going to be putting up monster numbers as he has been playing 24, 25 minutes per game. I, I would like, if I'm, if I'm somebody wanting to place a bet on rookie of the year right now, I would place it on Wemby because I think he's going to clearly surpass Chet at some point over the course of the season. He's the more talented overall player. He has the higher usage. Chet is more of a role player. Wemby's like over the last 10 or 10 to 15 games. And like, like I said, a minutes restriction, 24, 25 minutes per game. He's averaging like 24, 25 points, and he's over 10 rebounds a game, and he's now facilitating more often because they put the ball in his hands. If he's getting 30, 35 minutes at some point, like there's a chance he's one of those rookies that like we look back on years from now, and they're like, oh, my God, Wemby averaged 25 as a rookie before he became a 30-point-per-game guy a year annually. He could put up special numbers the remainder of the season. Yeah, he's got special talent. I just wish the Spurs would get him into better uniforms. I don't understand what's happening <laughs> with these, uh, like... I don't even know what color they are. Hey, Tan. I don't, I don't know. The color of the uniforms doesn't change the fact I, that that I don't guy like it. I don't is, like it. is a historic level defender. Tate. When I look back <laughs> on those pictures and videos, I'm not going to be happy about it. So put him in. Put him in the original Spurs garb, and then then it'll look good. Uh, let's talk about your NBA draft guy because it is out, and you can go find it at theringer.com right now. KOC, you've been doing this for quite some time. What are we? Eight years. This now? is uh, the eleventh season Jesus, overall. I, I, eight, I underestimated eight season, you. Eighth season with the Ringer. Okay, eighth, eleventh year overall. Which okay, is wild. Yeah, eleven years. Shout out to you. Uh, and I got I got the big board in front of me now. We've had the luxury of uh, two years ago we had Paolo Bencaro versus Chet Holmgren. Last year we had the Wimbenyama versus Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller also in the mix there. Um, so we've had some good drafts. This draft is uh, much maligned. Bill Simmons, our boss, has said that it reminds him of the 2013 NBA draft. Mm -hmm. Just looking at the top talent here, how do how do you feel about this draft? Do you think it's as bad as people are trying to say it is, or do you think it's more in the middle and, and still has some talent to be found? I mean, look, every year there's all-stars. Mm -hmm. 2013 provided Giannis. Okay? That's so a like, great way to put it. Uh, yeah. every, 15th pick. Every year, somebody pops up. So there will be a guy this year that does. Mm -hmm. I On paper, looking at the draft, I look at it as if this is a draft to enhance your existing core. So if you're a team where you already have the guy, if you're, if you're the Spurs with Wemby, or you're the Raptors with Scotty Barnes, or you're the Thunder with SGA and Chet, you can find a guy who can fit your existing core. It's a good role player draft. Mm -hmm. It's not a good star draft. Good third guy draft. Yeah, it's third a, fourth exactly. guy. Michael Porter Jr. Yes, it's right. it's good for that. In my opinion, I think it's actually quite deep in that department. It's just you know drafts aren't defined by that. Drafts draft quality is defined by the number of all stars and all NBA talents and MVP candidates. This year on paper. I, I like it doesn't look like there's any clear candidate who's going to become that um, whether you're looking internationally there's a lot of international prospects up top or the G League some of those guys are slipping right now college basketball prospects seem to be on the rise but that's in part due to the fact that nobody is really standing out as that clear number one there's like six seven guys you could argue could be number one like everybody has somebody different at number one right now right so number one you have Alex Sar who's playing for the Perth Wildcats he's French uh, 6'11 uh, you know 7'4 wingspan so that's your guy you have number one for now for now right it, it probably will change yeah. who's your favorite guy in this draft who's someone that has got you like that's making your brain tinker a little bit with like what he could be at the next level I, my favorite prospect he's complicated from an nba draft perspective because he's six foot one mm -hmm. he's not an above the rim athlete but he's reed shepherd 
And, <laughs> oh, and, man. And, and he's putting up these monstrous defensive numbers, deflections, right. steals. He's just contesting shots at the rim as this smaller guard. He has elite instincts. Mm-hmm. He's flying around everywhere. He looks like somebody who can be one of those on-ball pests despite his size, and he's a knockdown shooter yep. over 40%. He's an elite free-throw shooter. He's got good touch near the rim on some of those crafty layups. He's got a passing feel. He's exactly what we're talking about with somebody that you've put him next to Scotty Barnes in Toronto. He's playing the two-man game stuff. Next to Wemby with San Antonio. Wemby's going to be a key figure for that team. Dribble handoff actions. Pair him with a shooter like Shepard. It could work. Point of attack defense. And what do you do with a guy like that who's smaller and doesn't fit the, the typical profile of a lottery player? But I have him in my top 10. Pretty clearly, pretty easily. And I've seen people have him in their top three. <laughs> wow. So he's my favorite in that sense because it's like he's a weird prospect, but he fits what a lot of teams would desire from a, a high-end role player next to a star. Kentucky going into the year, they had two guys that were supposed to be lottery guys, right? Justin mm-hmm. Edwards was one of those guys. DJ Wagner was one of those guys. They Far were the lottery off. picks for Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, I mean, they're starting for Kentucky, but the two guys coming off the bench, you have Reed Shepard at number six on your big board, and you have Rob Dillingham at number seven on your big board. Dillingham which is, is fun. Which is fascinating, mm-hmm. right? That, like, you had two guys that were supposed to be, but then it happens to be the other guys, the other two guys mm-hmm. who were the lottery guys. And I think Reed Shepard is fascinating because he looks like he could be my cousin. Um, <laughs> you know, like you said, he, <laughs> he doesn't have shocking measurables. You're taller than Reed well, Shepard. I think I am, but, I mean, the guy has stick him for hands, right? Mm-hmm. He has great hands. He has yep. a good shot. He has high IQ. Uh, you call him a spark plug. I think that's a great uh, way to describe him because when he comes in the game, feels like he can shift things. Uh, he's also a great closer, makes big free throws. Um, so he checks a lot of boxes. But there is the eye test of this where you see this guy go number four in the draft, <laughs> and then you see him compared to a Cody Williams for Colorado, yeah. and you say, what's happening here, KOC? How, how is this happening? <laughs> so, like, where does he fit at the next level? Is he a point guard? Is he a shooting guard? Like, what position does he play? I think, in large part, it depends on the development of his handle. Mm. We we know he has the passing feel, and he has... Shades some, of Derek White. I, sure, like, I like the shades. I, I think that's a pretty good comp, <laughs> in terms of what he people can be. People love Derek White. That's, he, he, people could, love Reed Shepard. Yeah, so he could be that type of player, but if the handle continues developing in the years to come... I mean, like maybe he could be an all-star. Maybe, mm. maybe five, six years from now, after all the training and time he's going to put into the handle, he's not. It's not like he's. It's not like he has a slow first step. He's actually pretty quick. It's just the handle isn't advanced right now. It's more of a basic handle. So I think with Reed Shepard, I wouldn't rule out him being that surprise all-star. And I think that's why you look at talk to people around the league or look at you know draft rankings online. Like different people have him in their top five because they're like, hey, this year. He's got a foundation to be a long-term guy in the NBA. What if that other stuff does manifest, you know, to the max level that it potentially could? And it's hard to predict that stuff. And a lot of that's about fit, opportunity, and all that. But I, I'm a believer in Reed Shepard. I am. I I thought Reed Shepard would play at least three years at Kentucky, uh, son mm-hmm. of Jeff Shepard. Uh, and when you saw him, you know, in that group of Kentucky guys, he was the one name you wouldn't talk about typically. So it is kind of insane to see him now as a number one guy in that group. But shout out to Reed Shepard. Another guy I want to talk about quickly on your board. He's number 15, Dalton Connect, who is a senior at Tennessee. This is a guy who went JUCO route, um, can score the basketball, unlike you know many people we've ever seen, three level score, whatever you want to call him. Um, what are your thoughts on Connect, and where do you see him? Could he? 
he move up potentially based on a big March Madness run? I mean, I think he definitely could move up if this sustains with him. Like the He's reason, been incredible lately. For sure. I, absolutely. I think the reason why I have him slightly lower than, say, Kevin McCullough from Kansas, because mm-hmm. with McCullough, we've seen him at Kansas for years. We've seen him trend up every year. This feels like it follows a trajectory. With Connect, it's like, okay, let's let's see if he can sustain this at Tennessee, being there as a transfer. transfer okay, is this something where he continues getting better? Mm. And it feels like now in the middle of January, he is. I mean, the run he's recently been on with these 30-plus point bangers, hitting clutch shots, tough shots off the dribble, contested shots, and playing still within the flow of the offense, making smart passes end of games. He looks like one of those guys who could be a, a, a bucket getter who gets hot for you. And, I mean, it, with his size at six foot six, with some pretty good athleticism, he needs to get better on defense, of course. But he's um, playing for the best coach to learn how to play defense. 100%. And he is buying in more and more. And he's connected more and more. And that's why Tennessee is playing better. So for I, sure. I think these are good signs for Dalton Connect. Could become a top 10 guy. I like possibly. it. I think he could be a Corey Kispert type, you know, go mm-hmm. 8, 9, 10 range, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, last person I want to talk about on the big board, Zach Eady. Most people think he's going to be the national player of the year. He's a senior at Purdue. He's seven foot three, seven eleven wingspan. Uh, we've known him for quite some time. He's we've playing with the Canadian national team. Uh, do you like him as a first-round pick? Because before, he was off the board. Now we got him all the way at number 19. Is is that because of the quality of the draft or because Zach Eadie's gotten better this year? Last year, I had him like mid-second round, but he wasn't in the guide because I was like, okay, he's going. seems like going. he's, he's going to be going back to college, right. which he did. This year, it's it seems like he's been making some subtle improvements with his quickness. He's never going to be like some switch defender. But it feels like he's a little bit more comfortable out there when he has to defend high in pick and rolls and has to, you know, kind of trail a, a ball handler outside. And and I think you can at least feel like, okay, this guy has enough offensive skill and he could be such an effective rebounder, an interior scorer. And it's not like he doesn't have some feel for decision making as a big that he's worth the risk in the middle of the first round. Yeah. Bigs are back, Tate. Bigs are back. I don't know if we're aware. We just I'll spent, take the 7-3 guy. Yeah, we yeah. just spent a lot of the show <laughs> talking about some of the young bigs right. in the league. We talked about Cat. We talked about mm. Chet and Wemby. Never mind Embiid and Jokic and all these bigs. Bigs are back in the NBA. So with, for a guy like Zach Eady, maybe he's actually entering the league at, at a perfect time. Because you might need a weapon, even if he isn't some perimeter. He's stopper. six fouls. He's six. a big body. He could play twenty minutes per game and maybe more. Mason Plumley plays. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Maybe he can be much more than that. Yeah. Do you like? Do you think Edie has made enough improvements to become like a thirty-minute per game player someday in the NBA? Do you like? Is that? Is that path viable for Zach Eady? I think with fit, if he goes to the right spot and uh, and and he can learn how to move his feet and get when he gets pulled out to the three point line, that's been the problem. He's been so much better mm-hmm. this year. He's also been better at not fouling people, and yes. I think that's a big Bingo. part of his game as well. It, it, so think about Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez early years with the Nets, mm. he was an interior guy, a post player. He stunk on defense. He was no good at all. And then he's become a, an all-defensive team player yeah. because of scheme and fit with the Bucks and his own individual improvements. He's gotten better at moving in tight spaces. Can Edie continue improving, and can he be paired next to some of those longer wings? Like, throw him on Memphis with Jaron Jackson Jr. So all my Charlotte Hornets are going to take Reed <laughs> Shepard, so I'm going to have to go. <laughs> Pair him uh, with Brandon Miller, yeah, baby. Yeah, my guy, Brandon Miller. Ooh. Your guy, Brandon Miller, as well. 24-6-4 uh, and four over his on. last four games. Yeah. Dude, a dominant force right. right now. I love it. Should have been number two. Everybody <laughs> was saying that. I uh, appreciate you for coming on the show, KFC. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We are through the ringer, and we will be back on Tuesday with Cousin and Sal, we'll see you then.